I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Today's episode has been sponsored by Pediatrician in Your Pocket at dr-gen.com. Dr. Jennifer Trachtenberg is a mother of three and a 20-plus year pediatrician, board certified, who has called all of her amazing advice and made a series of five-minute videos on everything from feeding and sleeping to safety and all types of parenting issues, which basically every parent out there can use, especially in the middle of the night when you can't reach your pediatrician. So this is like a must do. And she's offering a discount to everyone with code PIP20. PIP20 20 is the code to get 20% off of all of her modules. So definitely go to dr-gen.com and check it out. It's also on a link in my website too, zibbyowens.com. Rochelle Weinstein is the USA Today bestselling author of What We Leave Behind, The Morning After, Where We Fall, Somebody's Daughter, and her latest novel, This Is Not How It Ends. A former entertainment industry executive, Rochelle eventually became a full-time writer and a mom of twins. She currently lives with her husband in Miami, where she was born and raised. So welcome, Rochelle. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Hi, Zibby. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. So can you please tell listeners what This Is Not How It Ends is about and what inspired you to write it? This Is Not How It Ends is a love story based in the Florida Keys. That's the short answer. The long answer is it is a story of love, forgiveness, family, friendship, and the sacrifices we make for all of them. Is that all? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's all. (laughs) And what inspired me, to be honest, this is my fifth book, and I really wanted to revert back to my first novel was What We Leave Behind, and it was the quintessential love story. What was my little elevator pitch for that? For any woman who has loved and lost and wondered what could have been, which I feel is all of us. Mm -hmm. So that book was actually my first self-published book that was my book that became a USA Today bestseller. And that book has just stayed in so many of my readers' hearts and they've contacted me and they're like, are you going to write a follow-up? And I really didn't feel that I could do the characters justice by doing a, you know, a series, but I knew that I needed to tap into those emotions again. So that was the inspiration, wanting to write another beautiful romance story. And wait, go back a minute. You see, you self-published your first book. I did. (laughs) What's funny is I speak a lot at schools and I mentor a lot of authors and I love what I do as a writer. But one of my most favorite things about this profession is being able to give back to the book community and it's inspiring and motivating. So when I tell this story, I feel like sometimes it's better than my my books that my first book, it sat under the bed, 100,000 words, and I tried to get it published and... Can you hear that? Yeah. We're going to invite Rochelle's dogs into this interview. So welcome, dogs. We'll see what they have to say. They're very far away. But anyway, I'm going to make a very long story short. So I ended up getting rejected by agents across the board, and I decided I was going to self-publish. And we all and I dealt with the stigma and the lack of credibility that was associated with self-publishing, but I'd made a decision and what my goals were for my writing and what I wanted to do with my writing. And I put the book out there. And it hit the USA Today bestseller list, not right away, but it just built traction. And then I, my second book, I self-published as well. And then I parlayed that into a book deal. So, you know, wow. some, some authors, it's really easy and it's a straight shoot. And I'm here to tell you that it's not that way for a lot of authors. And it's a lot of work and it's a lot of effort and it's a lot of, you know, thick skin and being resilient. And that's the message that I give to all 
aspiring authors. And I think I just probably fast forwarded to your last to your last question. That's okay. We can just get off the phone now. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> Tell me, okay, you said you we're trying to get past the stigma and everything of self-publishing. Do you really feel like there's such a stigma anymore? I mean, I feel like maybe in the olden days, like when it first was invented, people looked down on it maybe a little, but I'm not so sure there's even that anymore. I don't know. What do you think? I don't think there is anymore. This was probably 2012. So I think that we've seen it evolve substantially since then. I think it is a very viable option for a lot of authors. There's articles you can Google about many books that have been self-published. I mean, Amanda Hawking, there's authors that have hit bestseller lists. I don't think that there is as much of a stigma, but I do believe that a lot of authors have that dream inside of them that I'm going to get a traditional deal and then I'm going to hit the New York Times bestseller list. And again, it's not a straight shoot for every author. I think one of the nice things about self-publishing is It just goes to show you how in today's digital era, there's so many ways in which to get your books into print. And you said when you decided to self-publish that you were keeping in mind your own goals for your writing. What were those? To be honest, at that point, I wanted a tangible piece of evidence to leave to my family and my friends. I really wasn't thinking of anything grander. I was just thinking I put in all this hard work and I did this. I wrote this, what I thought was an amazing book. And I just wanted there to be evidence out in the world that I'd done this. Wow. Oh, that was really, and I think, and I, and I tell authors all the time that they have to really manage their expectations for their work. That's the key also to being successful is managing those expectations. Now that you have gotten a book deal, would you ever go back to self-publishing or now you're firmly entrenched? You've like crossed the line. How do you feel? Because some people feel like self-publishing can actually be more lucrative in a way. Yes. And I see a lot of authors that they go both ways. They, you know, they have a book deal with a publishing house. And then, you know, sometimes the publishing house, it's a couple years till your next book and they will publish something. They will self-publish something in between so that Mm. there's that traction, so that there's, you know, the visibility. Is it something I would do? I've actually had moments where I didn't know if my next book was going to be bought. And absolutely, it's been a consideration for me. It was very good to me. So I have a, I have a great experience. Also, it's a little different when you're an established author and you have a following to go back to self-publishing. I mean, you have a foundation in place. So mm-hmm. I think it helps. So let's talk more about This Is Not How It Ends, your most recent novel, which was fantastic. One of the things, I know you said it was about falling in love in the Florida Keys, but it's really based on a woman who's getting married and her relationship where she happens to meet a father and son during a food allergy attack and what ensues afterwards. Let's say that. So I, as a mother of two children who have food allergies, two who don't. I was super interested in your basing one of the main characters and one of the main events of the book around a food allergy attack to to nuts. Do you have a child with food allergies? How did you decide to put this as part of the essential part of the story? Okay, so here's the, 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 the authenticity piece. I actually had a, a, a late in life reaction to almonds, which... Huh exactly what one of the characters in the book, you know, writers write what they know, they embellish. I, it was about three years ago and I all of a sudden had a very bad reaction to almonds. I wasn't anaphylactic, but I had a very, very uncomfortable reaction. So I did go to, I had allergy testing. They told me I was highly allergic to almonds. And from that day forward, I had to walk around with an EpiPen, which for somebody who was what, 46, 47 at the time, 
it was really difficult. I was very frustrated. I was very annoyed. I was scared. So a friend of mine had done Nate therapy, which is, you know, an alternative, more natural approach to allergy treatment. Because some of the doctors were like, oh, I can give you shots. I could do this. And and I just didn't really want to change my lifestyle so much. And I thought maybe I could get this like quick fix. So I went into Nate therapy. My girlfriend had some terrible allergies and her son had some ter- terrible allergies and they had a lot of success with it. So I was intrigued by it. I mean, I come from a family of medical doctors, so they were all like, they were adamantly opposed to it, but I'm all about like a holistic approach. And I like to try out new techniques and different ways of, you know, modern medicine, East, combining a little bit of East and West. So I went and I actually did innate therapy myself. Did it work? It worked for like the character in the book. Yeah. A lot of my, for a lot of my allergies, but not all of them. Huh. Wow. And so I feel like you really tapped into the fear that parents have of when their children have allergies. Did you talk, I mean, do you must have friends or did you do any research or did you just imagine what it would feel like as a mom yourself? I do have friends that their children have serious life-threatening allergies, but I have to tell you the reactions that I was having, I was imagining not being with my child in those moments. And I can't even imagine what a parent goes through, you know, sending your child to school, sending your child to sleepaway camp. Is that even an option? Um, And as moms, most of us are very controlling to begin with. (laughs) But then you add this component of of a factor where you don't have any control of what's going on into your child's mouth. It terrified the life out of me. Like I'm like, I'm a little jittery even talking about, I really am, I admire any mother who has a child with life-threatening allergies because it is extremely scary. Yeah. I've been in the emergency room many times, my kids, especially my son. And the most recent time was a really bad reaction. And I was just sitting there being like, why do we even have nuts on earth? Like, really, do we need these? Like, I wish I could just go around and throw them all out and like not have to worry because you just don't know. I mean, it's like. It's funny because it's not funny, but I was on a plane recently with my husband. And it's amazing to me that this airline still even gives out peanuts. And I said to my husband, you can't eat those. He's like, what do you mean I can't eat those? And he was like, had them and they were like on his little table. I was like, what if a child comes in here who's highly allergic and touches the, I mean, I became crazy. I became literally like the mother of a child with a major peanut allergy. I'm like, you got, and I took the peanuts from him and I put them in my bag and I wouldn't let him eat them because you're in this small space. I agree. I can't believe airlines allowed either. I mean, often when I go on with my kids, they'll make some announcement like, there's a child with food allergies, like, please put away your nuts or something like that. I feel like that's all they're doing is catch as catch can. I will tell you that, and I'm sure you've heard this, and this is a subject for another time, but there is that whole program at Stanford or in yes, California. I've, yes, I'm aware of all the... Okay. That, uh, yeah, and a conversation for another time. Okay, back to your book. So Charlie, who's the main character, tells Philip when she first meets him, which is on an airplane, that she is also a world traveler like he is for work. But she is referring to books in this instance. And she says, the stories that kept me alive and took me all over the world, their destinations only rivaled by the depth of what I'd come to understand about living, about life. And she tells him, you don't always have to physically go somewhere to experience something magical. And I totally agree about that feeling that reading can take you so many places. And I was just wondering for you in particular, like where have books taken you? How has reading saved you or helped you through life? Reading has had a huge impact on me. I've been an avid reader since I was probably since the four or five years old. And I used to steal my mother's books and sit in the closet with the flashlight when I was supposed to be in bed. 
my parents were divorced, my mother worked and my father really wasn't around. And I have to tell you, and in hindsight, I believe I channeled all of my emotions and all my feelings into those, those books that the things that I sort of, um, couldn't allow myself to feel, I felt through reading books, took me away from a lot, some, a lot of pain books helped me feel less alone. Books taught me about love, a lot about relationships. I often joke that, you know, Sidney Sheldon and Danielle Steele and Judy Bloom raised me. <laughs> I mean, my mother was a wonderful mother, but again, she was working and my father wasn't around all the time. So books were my escape. Books were my savior. And I mean, I could sit here and tell you that, yes, they take you to different locations and they take you to beautiful you know, countries and cities and you see the magic of the world. But for me, it was an emotional outlet for me. And I think that's also why I tend to write emotionally driven books, because now it's my it's my way of channeling those emotions, you know, getting them on the page. Do you feel like making people feel less alone is part of your goal as a writer, too? Probably one. I think my fiction is relatable because of the real emotions. It's tapping in. Listen, it's not for everybody, but, you know, I feel like tapping into those real emotions is what makes people connect with your work and say, oh, wow, you know, that sounds really familiar. I feel that way. I get that. There was one line in your book that particularly spoke to me. It was particularly great. You said, Charlie says to Philip, you should know that being alone doesn't make a person lonely. It's being around the wrong people. Talk to me more about that. Well, I mean, I think that as we mature and I'm approaching 50, you see that more and more. I think we fill our lives, we collect things and we collect people because we want to feel, we, you know, we want to feel good about ourselves and we want to feel less alone. But I think the older you get and the more in touch with yourself, you realize that it's better to be alone than sort of reforming and changing who you are to please somebody else, you know, somebody that's not particularly making you happy. So I've seen that evolution in my own life. And it is something that I like to impart on readers and people who read my stories that I'd much rather at this point in time. And I don't think it's so much, I don't think it's an easy thing to understand when you're 20 and your teens, you know, you want to have a bunch of friends, you want to have a boyfriend and you want to feel good. And, but sometimes those same things don't, they make you feel worse. So I feel like getting older and trying to evaluate, you know, (laughs) toxic relationships, like even friendships, like what does this person need from me? Can I give this person that? Like, what is, I don't know. I'm all about authenticity at this point in my life. I need real connections. I I can honestly say that I don't feel alone in any of my relationships today. That's great. Do you think your characters feel alone? I mean, I know that Charlie started off feeling very alone. I think there's definitely a common theme in my books that channels some of that earlier loneliness that I had felt. And I think my my characters do start out lonely and then they they their their big arc is learning this wonderful lesson about themselves. And usually there's forgiveness involved and there's acceptance involved and there's a, an emotional growth and then they're not so lonely anymore. So Charlie has this great relationship with her dog, Sunny. And I, I just had to bring it up. I feel like this might be my first question about a character that's a dog, which is so appropriate since your dogs are barking in the background. But I felt like you mentioned Sonny so often, why Charlie, how the beautiful moment when they, she named him and the relationship with her mother and all the times in life when the dog actually had something to do, the dog going to the hospital, all of it. So tell me a little more about, about that decision in this book. Who knew the dog was going to become the protagonist here? To be honest, I lost my mom when I, in 2012. 
And my dog got me through it. Don't tell my husband that. But I mean, I would come home and I'd get into bed and like she'd be downstairs and I'd be like crying in bed. And then she would run up the stairs and she would get on the bed and she would like lay on me and she'd lick away, lick away my tears. And I just feel that there's nothing, there's just no, that there's such an unconditional love between humans and dogs. And that's why there's so many of them out there and all of us love our dogs. But I do believe that they can mine our emotions. I think they feel our emotions. They can tell when we're having a good day, when we're having a bad day. They never say no. They're usually so cooperative. They're like, you know, they're, you know, they're sound asleep on the bed and you're like, come on, let's go for a walk. And they're like, you know, we, as humans, we'd be like dragging our feet, but they <laughs> just want to be with us and they just want to love us and they just want to comfort us. And I just, I think that I wanted to portray in this is not how it ends, how my dog helped me and how this dog, you know, helped. I just forgot my character's name. Charlie. Jenny, because I'm writing a new book right now. <laughs> but I just I can, that- I can tell you more about what your book's about if, if you want, if that would help. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, tell me, what's your new book about? Okay, so my new book is about, there's, there's definitely like a common thread here, like this, the quintessential, you know, perfect family. And there's a workplace sexual harassment suit and how it detonates this family and the the ripple effect and how nothing is ever what it seems. And I'm about 60,000 words in. Wow. That's a chunk. How many, like how, how many words did this book have and how many, like how many? You should know the answer to it. I didn't add them up. I mean, come on. I could tell you it's probably like 379 I, pages that, without looking. Wait, let me see if that's right. 90 something thousand words. How, say that again. It must have been 90,000 something, maybe. No, I bet it was more. 363. 363 pages. Okay, sorry. But you asked words. Words. Yeah, I know. Okay. Well, regardless. So let's just say you're more than halfway through your next book. (laughs) I'm more than halfway through my next book. No, I just wanted to know more about your writing process. Like where do you do it right there? I'm like seeing you. We're on Skype. So I'm seeing you like in your bedroom. Are you writing it on your bed? Where do you write? You caught me downstairs on my couch. And that's the other thing. My dogs literally plant themselves on each side of me. So I think that's a a reason why also that that I've transported them onto the page. They're ever so present. Um, But I can work anywhere. I'm not a star. I don't drink coffee. I've never had coffee in my life. Weird fun fact about me. (laughs) She's rolling her eyes. I'm not rolling. I'm shocked. I'm I'm impressed. The shock. I can write anywhere. I can write with noise of my kids in my house. Well, I'm an empty nester now. So my writing has sort of had to adapt to all the different stages. And you're a writer too. So you'll get there. (laughs) You know, I used to write when they were napping. I used to write when they were in school. Now it's like everybody's gone. So I have no excuse not to be writing. So I'll write, I'll do like a yoga or Pilates class in the morning and then I'll be writing all day. And sometimes we'll go to dinner and I'll have a glass of wine and the juices are really flowing at that point. So I kind of just write whenever. And how long does it take for each book? This is not how it ends. It took two months. Two months? Yeah, that was it. But, but usually it takes me nine months to a year to write a book. But that book just like poured right out of me. But that was how it was with what's, what we leave behind also. Wow. Yeah. So you're working on another book. How many, like, do you have plans for your all your next book like are you one book at a time do you have other ideas for things coming up or I always keep a folder with all my ideas 
And, you know, people say, how do you come up with ideas? And, you know, again, you're a writer. There's stories all around us. You know, I go, I go out to dinner and the people next the table next to us, I come up with a story. You know, you read something in the newspaper. So I always come up with like crazy ideas and I keep them in my idea folder. And sometimes I, you know, share them with my agent. And she's like, yes, no, yes, no. And then sometimes we send them to the editor and she's like, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And then I just, you just, I have to feel it. Like if I, if I don't feel it inside, I can't write it. Yeah, I know you had started off by telling me some great advice, but now that we're at the end of our conversation, <laughs> although I had like a million more questions to ask you, but. Well, okay. You know what? I'm so happy that you skipped the question about food. I was going to tell you to skip it and you skipped it. Oh, you, okay. Oh. Why did you want me to skip it? I don't know. Because, you know, I, I have no idea. Like Anne-Marie keeps like, we keep tying in this food thing and I just, I'm not feeling the food connection. Okay. It's okay. You don't have to. <laughs> I won't talk about it. I won't talk about it. I did think it was funny how, you know, Charlie's trying to cook and like blowing up her kitchen basically because I feel like I could relate to that trying to attempt some sort of feat that I shouldn't be trying in the kitchen. But okay. So parting advice to aspiring authors. Go. Don't give up. You know, as cliche as it sounds, the best advice I could give is the difference between a successful author and an unsuccessful author is the never giving up. I mean, I think back to when my book was rejected across the board and I could wallpaper a bathroom with my rejection letters because that's how long ago it was. I actually got letters in the mail. And had I just given up and not gone the the self-publishing route, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. I love that. Well, I'm really glad you didn't give up because you've provided me with lots of enjoyment and loved this book. And I also think you did a really great job, which I didn't really touch on, but In terms of transporting readers to places, I feel like this was a little mini beach vacation for me and that I haven't really spent much time on the Florida Keys or, I don't know, I felt like I was there. I was at these different rest at the restaurant and the beach and the hammock. I don't know. You really like brought me there, which on this gray day and winter up here in New York was, was, was very nice. I could take you to the beach for the day. Yes. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks, Rochelle. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. All right. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, the award-winning podcast. Today's episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books was sponsored by Pediatrician in Your Pocket by Dr. Jennifer Trachtenberg, dr-gen.com. Enter code PIP20, PIP20, for 20% off of these can't-miss modules that will make your parenting life so much easier. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 